Hey there, architecture enthusiast. Nikita Reed here, inviting you on an incredible journey through time and space with my podcast, Tangible Remnants. Historic preservation and sustainability? Let's go ahead right now and debunk the myth that they are opposites. In fact, they are two sides of the same coin, shaping our collective future. In a work environment, it has been challenging because I've had to probably do more than double just to make sure that I quote unquote fit in. But the environments that have allowed me to do me on the front end, I've been extremely successful. You look at all these PhDs, they've built that on the backs of our elders. Absolutely. They consider themselves to be experts at is what they've worked with us to achieve. I know we have to. We have to prioritize people before products and before place. Join me as we unravel the stories of historic buildings shaped by the people of a specific era and often influenced by race and gender. These tangible remnants are windows into our past and guideposts for the future. Follow the link in the show notes to subscribe now to Tangible Remnants. Let's explore the interconnectedness of architecture, preservation, sustainability, race, and gender. Hi, my name is Carrie Seaburn, professional engineer, and this is Unstruct. Unstruct is the podcast where we share the stories from within your walls to help you understand how they stand today. Hello, and welcome back to Unstruct. In this episode, I sit down and talk with Luke Nichols. So instead of focusing on a specific building this time, we are talking about mentorship and how important it is to have a mentor, but also in turn have a mentee. So Luke is a sophomore civil engineering student at South Dakota State University, which is my alma mater and where I went to school. So South Dakota State Civil Engineering started a mentorship program in the fall of 2021, and Luke and I were paired through that program, and so we are now in year two, and we meet up every once in a while. We have phone calls, usually monthly or bi-monthly, just to talk about questions that come up as he is searching for internship opportunities, as he's going to job fairs, as he's updating his resume or maybe selecting classes. And I am also quizzing him or asking him questions about what is important to new engineers. So Luke is actually from the Iowa City, Iowa area, and he is a collegiate level swimmer. So in addition to his civil engineering coursework, he is also participating in the swimming program. So that, as you can imagine, is probably actually more than a part-time job. So he is a very busy guy, very driven, very smart, and honestly, just it makes me so reinvigorated with the profession and excited about the new engineers that are getting ready to enter the workforce. I think the future is bright. I think the things that they are looking for are great causes, and I think we are in good hands in the coming years. So I think it's super important for practicing professionals and for students to rely on other people for advice. So this has been a great opportunity for me to, I guess, get into the brains of students or young engineers. And I think Luke has found it very beneficial too, just to see kind of what it's like out in the uh, professional world. So I would encourage anyone and everyone to pursue a mentorship relationship. So whether that be, you know, mentor someone that's younger than you or finding and seeking out someone with more experience. And honestly, I think everyone would benefit from having a mentee relationship with someone that is younger and with someone that is older. So being a mentor and a mentee. So I will sign it off and hand it over to Luke and we will talk a little bit about questions that students have and questions that employers have. So I hope you find this beneficial. 
Luke, thank you for being here today. Yeah, thank you. I'm excited to do this and show everyone what we've been up to the last couple of years and really highlight the mentorship program here at South Dakota State and just show everyone what it's all about. Yeah, I think both of us could say too, like, it's been so great for both of us to talk, you know, there's about 20 years difference between experience levels. And I have learned so much from you. And hopefully you've learned from me too. And yeah, for anyone out in the industry or, you know, colleges that maybe don't have a mentorship program yet, I guess we just want to stress kind of the importance of this and how great it has been for both of us to kind of have these conversations. So getting started, started. Did you maybe have some questions for me? Yeah. So we've talked about ideal things for going into a career fair and things like that. But when you graduate college and really get started in the industry, companies are looking for an ideal set of like employees, I guess, to fill their ideals and company values and things like that in particular. But just from a general standpoint, what might be a company looking for in a recent graduate uh, as far as skill sets or personal attributes that might appeal to them as someone hiring. Yes, yes, that is a great question, Luke. So I think in engineering, we are going to school for four to five years. If you get your master's degree, maybe it's a little bit longer. But engineering is a very complex is maybe a word for it, but there's just a lot of information that you have to learn before you can be kind of on your feet running as a practicing either civil or structural engineer. So I think it's important to have that great baseline and that great foundation of schoolwork, but I wouldn't say that grades are the most important. I think it's important to be good, but not important to be perfect or, you know, the top of your class per se. I think employers are going to be looking for students that are curious, students that take initiative. So people that are willing to learn and continue to grow because you are not done after four or five years of school, you still have to learn a lot of information. So, you know, students that are willing to take that initiative to learn things and to kind of be a leader and not afraid to take risks. Because sometimes I think as engineers, we want everything to be perfect. We want to have the right answer all the time. And it's hard to kind of go out on a limb and take a risk here or there. So it's like a calculated risk where you still have the safety net of, you know, the supervisor above you. But being willing to kind of try something new or take the initiative to take little safe risks, I guess, per se. So those would be the two things, I guess, that I would say. Someone that's curious and someone that's willing to take initiative. Sometimes, you know, people (laughs) are maybe not open to growing and learning new things. And those are things that are very important because there's still so much learning that has to take place once you're out in the workforce. Yeah, exactly. Learning things that have already been established, but then the innovations and changes with new design technology and for example the mega city 2070 all the random new design ideas and things like that that it will always be evolving so yes having that constant eager to learn is something that would be beneficial to take forward yes and like you bring up a good point too like when you're talking about that like things of the future like I think, you know, for myself being in the industry for 20 years, I can speak for some of my peers and colleagues as well, but we're kind of set in a framework of the way that we have always done something. But like you being, you know, not having that preset framework, I think lends new ideas to be a little more prevalent with someone that's new and starting out just because there's no such thing as the way we've always done it. Like you are already coming at it with a fresh perspective. So I've heard some like recruiters or uh, companies look for people that, well, like obviously internships are good for just general experience in the field, but I've heard some people say that having no experience could be good in some cases because you're just fresh and new and open to any ideas, whereas you have ideal beliefs or whatever from your previous companies to judge how things should be going in this new company. Have you had any experience with that? 
Yeah, I mean, I think that's a a good point. I think it is good to have like a solid kind of foundation of experience, but I think it's also important to not be too connected to certain ways of doing things. So I think that is a great point. I see what they're saying with that of, you know, having that openness to learn new things and do things in a new way, even if it's as simple as the way that you set up your Revit drawings or whatever, you know, being open to kind of new ways of doing that. But I think that goes both ways too. So it's great to have that openness as a student, but as an employer, And as a company, I think it is also important to be open to exploring new ways of doing things too. So when I'm looking for a company to work for after college, once I maybe find a couple that I'm interested in, and they might not be in my geographic location, so maybe not having any sort of contact with them at career fairs or general communication at events or things like that, are there ways to cold contact or cold call recruiters and businesses in general, just as a recent graduate with minimal experience or a couple years of internships to market myself and become a candidate for their next round of hiring? Yes, I think that is a great question. And I think right now is such a great time because there are so many opportunities to do that. So when I was in college and looking for jobs, websites were not super prevalent back then, maybe just a landing page and that was about it, but they weren't interactive sites. So for me, it was literally going through the phone book and cold calling one after the other in the phone book. But now things have evolved. And I think when you take that initiative, I think that is so awesome and such a great opportunity to showcase that you will also take that initiative once you work for them. So that cold call and and doing that instead of just responding to things that you, you know, maybe ads that you see at school or people that are at the job fair, while that is very important, going above and beyond and actually taking initiative to reach out to companies shows such a great side to that initiative, to having that personal initiative that will carry through when you work for someone. So that is a great, a great thing. I would say LinkedIn is very popular in the professional setting right now. So if there's companies that you might be potentially interested in, I recommend following them on LinkedIn. If there's engineers that you find inspiring that work for these companies, you can connect with them as well. LinkedIn allows you to give a little personal note. So you can do that as well. And you can just say, hey, I'm inspired by you. I'm a civil engineering student looking at pursuing something in this field. And I would love to connect. And I think that is a great thing to do. The other thing is, is that many companies are very active on LinkedIn. So their company page is very active. So they share lots of things like nonprofits that they care about or social events that they're getting together for. So when you follow their company page, it really gives you kind of an insight into what that would look like to work for that company. They also post a lot about projects that they're working on. So you can look and see if you find those things interesting and intriguing. And it's just a great way to kind of get integrated into that company culture before you're actually working there. It's almost like you're visualizing if you see yourself working for those companies. So I think that is a great thing and very good to be strategic about those companies that you're following on LinkedIn. The other thing is, is that many companies do post their ads on their website. So you can go to websites of companies that you might be interested in. And a lot of them have blogs. Some of them actually have podcasts. I've seen that with some companies as well. So that's also another opportunity to kind of put yourself in that setting hypothetically to see if it seems like it would be a good fit for you. So yeah, I would say LinkedIn and also websites would be great places. And I would encourage students to do all of the research that you can and to be strategic about that and write it down. You know, like you can have a spreadsheet of I'm interested in these companies and, you know, follow them and reach out to those specific people. Sometimes there's the HR, there's the hiring department Those are great places to apply to, but it's also great to 
connect with engineers that are in those companies that actually work there because that's who you're going to be someday. So it's great to have them to mentor you and to kind of see these people and see if that's something you could see yourself doing. Yeah, I think that's really great. Being able to see what they're actually working on is important. Make sure that projects line up with something that you might be interested in and just the general culture of the company can be portrayed over websites just through like brief research into companies around the country, seeing a website that's well-developed and ample uh, information and things that I can find on them for community events and just random things that they might do outside of the office, but also their projects can be really important to researching them. So that's been good to see. So I would say LinkedIn is a great place to kind of explore the company culture and the mission and see if that personality fits with your personality. And I would say websites are great places to go and look at their past projects to see if those are the types of projects that you would like to work on. So the website is more curated as far as a place to go, a landing page that kind of is a library of their past work, whereas LinkedIn is an ever-evolving, constantly, you know, new information coming out that kind of shares what their company culture would be. Okay, that's good to know. So besides like looking through these couple things and finding the small amount of information that some companies may publish to the public, what are things that I should be looking for to determine if it's a good fit I have like interests and things in mind, but being able to decipher the information on websites and LinkedIn profiles can sometimes either be like misleading or just not fully encompassing of information that they may have. So, I mean, contacting engineers and just having a conversation with them, but sometimes getting someone on the phone for an hour to hear their experience could be difficult and without interning there might be a challenge to find the work culture or the values within the company. Yeah. So that is a great question. And I am going to take this kind of more of a generalized thing and then we can zone in or, you know, kind of hone in on some areas. But from a big perspective, I think it's very important to get an internship every summer. Engineers are typically paid for their internships. So that is great. And I would highly recommend getting internships in different areas every summer if you are interested in different areas. So Civil engineering is so broad, right? There's six sub-disciplines of civil engineering with structural being one, but there's transportation, there's environmental, there's surveying, there's so many different aspects of general civil engineering. So I think it's super important as a baseline to get an internship every summer in a different area. So that kind of is that you know first step of, you know, you should be doing this as a benchmark to get to know kind of where your area of interest lies because while in school you're learning lots of concepts but you're not really implementing them that much because there's just not enough time to implement these different concepts so it's really hard to know I mean you get maybe a feel for what you like but it's really hard to know for sure what you want to do so those internships are super helpful with that The other thing I would stress would be you can also shadow for like a day. So all of these connections that we were talking about earlier, so LinkedIn and websites and reaching out to those people on LinkedIn, essentially you're establishing a relationship and trying to foster that. If you are local to the company, I would highly recommend reaching out to a person and that maybe you could see yourself being in 10 or 15 years. Like, so a civil engineer that's working in a job that you could see yourself working in. You could reach out to them like over LinkedIn or give them a call or an email and ask for just even like a 30 minute coffee meeting if you're local. Because in doing that, just even that initial interaction tells you so much and you're able to take a lot of information from that to see if you could see yourself in their shoes. So I think that shows initiative, that shows that you care, it shows that you're serious about pursuing your career. So I think that is a great opportunity that only takes an hour of your time 
just reaching out to someone and asking them for a half hour or an hour coffee. You know, me, as I'm growing my business, those are things that I'm doing as well with potential clients. So I think it's super beneficial for you as a student. You know, you are a potential client of this company or, you know, vice versa. So I think that is super helpful and you kind of get a feel for that company. And at the next level, you're also establishing relationships. So it's so important to, you know, maybe you're not going to work with them, but people move companies, people move different cities, different states. So it's just so important to start establishing your professional network. And by setting up these coffee meetings, you're able to see someone face to face to kind of start that relationship. And then, you know, every six months or whatever, you can read if it's someone that you're interested in that you could see yourself in their shoes, reach out again in six months and say, hey, can we have another coffee meeting? I'd love to learn some more. I think that is so beneficial and so good. And you can also, like I alluded to it a little bit earlier, you can ask to, you know, just shadow for a half a day. So, you know, maybe you've had a few coffee meetings with this person and you're like, I'm really interested in your company. You know, can I come and shadow for a couple hours some afternoon just to kind of see how things work? And many times you're not going to get paid for a shadow situation, but Many times they're open to that because if you think of it from an employer standpoint, they want to grow their company as well. And they want to make sure that they are keeping their eyes and ears open to the next generation and their potential next employee or next hire. So it's it's a mutually beneficial situation to do something like that. So it's not just you inconveniencing someone. I don't want anyone to think of it as that. It's them also seeing you as someone that's taking initiative and interest in their company. And that speaks very highly for you. Right. Yeah, I like that idea. And it doesn't necessarily have to be like a professional, like sit down, like interview type thing, more of a business development and just building the relationship, as you said, and developing a connection like our mentor mentee relationship. It's been more just getting to know like the ins and outs of each other's experience and not necessarily some formal interview type thing or super business event, just kind of getting to know each other and hearing about the experience. Yes, you said that so well. It's business development. This is something that all of us have to do. Students have to do. People that have been in the industry for 40 years. This is what we all have to do. We have to do business development, which I should say we get to do it because really it's just human interaction and you know, learning from people and getting to know people. The first interaction, you're not like, hey, hire me. Like it takes all of that pressure off of having to close the deal or having to find a job. Like you're just establishing connections and getting to know people. So when you're able to take that pressure off of having something tangible at the end of it, it makes it way less stressful. I totally yeah. <laughs> yeah, this is the first, Luke. I haven't been on the other side of the coin here, so <laughs> feels a little different to be the one getting the interview questions. But yeah, we can move on and kind of turn the tables. So to say, I've got a few questions for you, too, as a practicing structural engineer, looking at students that are in college right now, there's just some questions that come up. So when you are looking for a job and a place to work, what are the three top things that you are looking for? There's a lot of important things that go into considering a job, I would definitely say. <laughs> I think if you have the opportunity, being able to uh, intern with the company or like we've discussed, maybe shadow them for a while and just observe the employee morale and observe how the employees are interact between each other and how excited they seem to be working on their projects based on what I've experienced and I would imagine everyone else. When you're happy to be working on something, you're going to be doing it better. So being in the right mindset when you walk into the doors at work will just set you up for a successful day of productive work and just doing the best work possible. So being happy to be there and enjoying your eight hours a day or 40 hours a week that you're there, a large time commitment in your life. So 
being miserable all day would would not be an ideal environment to spend that much time in. Yeah. I think it's so fascinating that two companies could have the same deliverable and work on the same project, but the culture could be completely different. And that's what's so important, right? Is like enjoying your time that you spend there. And I would imagine that plays into quality of work as well. Just even if it's the same design, the quality of work would come into play. So I think also important for working for a company and working for a company would be opportunity for growth. Being able to see a goal in the future, seeing a place where you want to be, and also knowing that that's an attainable goal, seeing your manager and saying, I want to be in that position 15 years down the road and having that be a feasible goal. You're so close to being hired and then they bring someone in. So having, having that ability to move forward in a, in a position, but also growing within your experience, variety of projects and really just growing the basin of what your capabilities are and what kind of projects you have the ability to work on, whether it be between disciplines or within structural engineering, maybe you do a bridge and you do a pedestrian bridge and a railroad bridge, just varying the experience that you might have within disciplines or maybe more difficult, but between disciplines over a, over a long span of years. And with that, I guess, like being able to switch disciplines within a company or working on different projects within your realm of experience, just having stability in your job and the company knowing that they've been around for a long time and will be for many years to come. So you have confidence in your desire to work there and uh, just knowing that everything will be good 10 years down the road. So you have that ability to switch things around and become comfortable in new areas and try out different things. Yeah, because a lot of times when you're first starting out, you're maybe working on one small piece of a large project. And I think it's so important for the supervisor, for the project engineer to be telling that design engineer or that, you know, fresh employee straight out of school about the whole picture, right? Like not just the piece that they're working on, but the whole picture and then also showing them a roadmap for growth. And I think it might be a little counterintuitive because it seems like, oh, we got to zoom out and take some time out to talk about these things, which is maybe not as efficient as it would be. But as a new starting engineer, it's so valuable. I think it affects your productivity and just that mental space. Like you're able to output because you know the why. Like your output is better because you know the why behind it and you see the long-term roadmap of where you could go. So I think that's super important and may be counterintuitive for a supervisor. Yeah, I agree with that. I've had one internship just after my freshman year, so a little bit of experience in the field, but I would primarily work on site designs, civil site designs, but we'd have company meetings, project meetings, where the structural team would come in and the project manager on the particular industrial site or whatever that we were working on. And we'd all gather and just see like the next week what people's, what their workload was going to be and kind of gave a brief explanation of what they might be working on or places that they need to be going within the next week as far as their design. So my little piece of site design and then hearing the structural components with the buildings or whatever we were adding in. So just seeing like a general overview of the project was interesting, but also informative to what I might be doing later on, even though I wasn't getting technical information, just a brief overview was was still interesting to hear. Yeah, that's so fascinating. And it also provides information, empathy, understanding of the other pieces of the puzzle and what they are up against, what you know, like if it's maybe a super busy week for them, like they are stressed to the max as far as their schedule, then you know when you need a piece of information from them, like they have all this other stuff going on. So you might not get it immediately. So that's that's very good to know. I feel like that's a great, a great thing to kind of have that interdisciplinary communication. 
Last thing I would say when looking for a company is just like a general like benefits package. Those can be important to like evaluating your total salary, I guess, or your benefit package, but like general medical insurance and time off is really important. I really am interested in traveling and doing things in the nature and outside. So uh, having time to explore my interests outside of work, but then retirement plans. And uh, recently I've been interested in employee-owned companies. So trying to seek out those in places that I might want to live and uh, really starting to get interested in those, but I'm not too honed in on all the information as far as the, the packages go, but sometimes those can can really add up and be much more important than just the overarching salary that you might might see. Sure. Yeah, that makes sense. So that leads me to another question. We have another question that's kind of right in this. I feel like you teed it up perfectly, so I'm going to ask it. So would you be willing to take a lower salary to have more free time? This is a tough question because I feel like throughout my working career, I'll be in a different position throughout maybe a five-year span. When I first start out, I think it's really important to establish my base, especially if I decide to go into a structural engineering role where there's just so much technical information, seismic activities, and just a lot of different things that I'll have to be learning that school won't even touch on. So maybe like the first... I don't know, five years or till I get my PE when I'm really growing my base and trying to gain a, a broad understanding of, of the field, that might be more important to spend more time in the office and maybe limit my free time outside of work and in turn expect a higher salary. But overall, I would say like throughout my career, taking a lower salary to spend more time with my family, go hike after work or get outside after work would be extremely important to me. So I think taking breaks throughout the day and having that time to regenerate your brain and create fresh ideas is really important. So maybe having a longer lunch hour, for example, and maybe working less hours and as a result, having a lower salary, then I think that makes sense. So I would say yes in general. Yeah. I found it so fascinating when you first started talking about this. And I think it's so true. Like in our careers, I think it takes a lot of manpower, a lot of effort to get the train moving because you are learning so much and creating a baseline. But then at a certain point, you like you're always learning, like I'm still learning, there's things that I'm still learning. But the rate at which I'm learning new things is much slower than it used to be. So at a certain point, your train is moving, and it's kind of self propelled, because you have that experience and that background behind it. And I think it is a lot easier at that point to take time off and really focus on you already have that strong foundation. And I think it's also important to take that time off so that you're able to regenerate those ideas, regenerate new ideas, just like you said, because we know that when our mind is at rest and not firing on all cylinders, that's when we get new creative ideas and new ways of doing things. And I think while those are maybe more prevalent for someone like yourself that's just starting out, it's also important for people with more experience to cultivate that time to facilitate and to provide the framework or the environment for those new ideas to come up too. So yeah, I totally agree with that. That's very fascinating. So thanks for sharing. Yeah, even during my school work, I'm pretty busy with swimming and all these other activities. But when I come back to it after taking a couple hour break, maybe I start a homework assignment, I write down the given and find statement and I'm really confused and I come back and it just kind of comes to me. Just taking the time away and looking at it for a second time is really important. So just resetting, I guess. <laughs> yeah, 
That's so great that you've already realized that because, yeah, you can sit there and force it for hours and nothing comes, but you take a step away and do something that's creative or something that uses a different part of your brain and then you come back at it and it's there. (laughs) So maybe if you could speak on behalf of yourself and your peers, if maybe you've talked about this, but how many hours a week are you anticipating working once you are out in the real world? And this is not a trick question. I, I am trying to make sure this is like, this is not emotionally charged. This is just a question. <laughs> so I would say in general, I hear like 40 to 45 hours a week is like a typical work week for like other students that have done internships, but just the companies that they've worked for and kind of seen what other employees might do around 40 hours. But then there's obviously cases where people do a lot more or some people are, you know, half retired, they do less maybe or whatever, but 40 to 45 is what I've heard to expect. Maybe 50 on a certain case if you had a big project or a strict deadline coming up. Yeah, I think that's fair. Like, I think that's where it should be. I know sometimes engineers can work a lot, 60 hours a week and more. I would speak to that and say that that is not healthy and that is not good balance. And the engineering that is coming out when you are working that many hours is probably not the best work that a person can do. I think it's healthy and important and necessary to take breaks. But just like you said, there are times when deadlines pop up and when there are other people waiting on the work that you have to output and you might have to do some things, work a few extra hours to get a deadline out. I guess I personally usually work about 40 hours a week. There was a time when I worked about 60 hours a week, and that was not healthy. So I like to think as I get older, I hopefully get a little bit wiser. I would say that probably about four times a year, I have to work on a weekend or I have to work a 50-ish hour week. And that's usually because I overpromise something. And so I need to deliver on the thing that I promised. I think it is very important for managers and for people starting out to be very clear with expectations and very clear with boundaries. That's with clients and with each other. So I think it is very important for all of us as engineers to put out our best work possible. And I think you have to know when it's too much so that you can make sure to limit that. And I think especially for someone starting out, you're just getting your feet wet. So you don't really know what your output is supposed to be. And you need to rely on a good manager to be your advocate and to kind of limit the flow of work that comes in. And then it's also that manager's responsibility to manage client expectations and deadlines and set deadlines that are realistic. I would like to think that we are past the day where we set a deadline that is unattainable with the expectation that whoever's working on it will work extra, extra hard to try to make something that is virtually unattainable. That doesn't work for anyone. It feels really good to meet a deadline. So I think it's important to set attainable goals and deadlines. Yeah, and I agree with that, being able to feel like you are you can manage the work that you have. Having a manager recognize when your skills are improving and you can handle a little more work would be important. Not they, they throw you to the wolves uh, your first month there and give you all these projects with minimal skills and obviously you're training up, but understanding that your skills are, are going to be growing throughout your career. So, and eventually maybe you'll be acquiring some of your own projects and deciding if you have time to work on them yourself, but having somebody that understands your skill level and is able to understand your workload. And like you mentioned, setting the expectations right from the beginning, what you expect from them, how many hours a week, what quality or, or what quantity of projects 
they are expected to produce per month or whatever their timeline is. Yeah, for sure. And I think clients as well are willing to pay maybe even a little bit more to know that they're getting a good service and that they have an engineer that is able to help them when they need help. And part of that is not over committing to clients, to deadlines, to jobs and workflow. I think that is very important and sometimes common for engineers to overcommit and be optimistic as far as the level of work that they can get done. And that would be, I guess, my advice to any practicing structural civil engineer is to really watch what you're committing to. Because I think if you don't commit to as much, I think clients are willing to pay more to have you more available. (laughs) to service their projects, if that makes sense. (laughs) Yeah, that does make sense, being able to produce the best work. And speaking of that, and back like to the hours, I guess, with remote work and like work from home becoming like kind of more popular, but also starting to become less popular again, (laughs) having like the flexibility to work when you're most productive, I guess. For example, like myself, I seem to be best at my engineering problems early in the morning, doing the math equations and things like that that relate to my classes early in the morning. But then any sort of like writing or language skills, I seem to be best at later in the evening. So something I've been considering is like having the flexibility to maybe work on design work at a certain time of day that suits my like mental power, I guess. And then having, you know, time in the afternoon or if it's nice in the morning to do something and maybe come back to other work later at night or just having like a random variety. I know that's not ideal for like a company environment where you're going to be responding to clients, emails or calls or going to a job site. So it's obviously not going to work in a lot of cases, but I know for you, like doing your own design work and everything like that. You can kind of build your own schedule, which it is nice to have a routine where you're, you know, you're going to be like at your desk this certain day for these hours, but having like a, maybe like a two week hourly quota where maybe this week it's super nice outside and you want to play around golf in the afternoon. So you kind of front load your, your hours on the paycheck or, or month or something like that. And kind of having a little variety in your week. It is good to get in a a schedule and a routine. I'm very routine oriented. I do agree with that, but just some thoughts that I've been having. (laughs) Yeah, no, I think that's great. And I think uh, for anyone that's starting out, I think it's important to articulate that to your employer too, because, you know, an employer is going to see a value to efficiency. So if you are better at some of those critical thinking skills earlier in the morning and then more linguistic skills later in the afternoon or evening, maybe you know where it's your best, but maybe it's a compromise of, you know, you start earlier in the morning and then, you know, you're done by 3 p.m. or something, or you take that break that you were talking about earlier, an extended lunch break, and then work on your emails and letters and proposals and stuff later in kind of the afternoon, evening. I think that really leads into how important autonomy is too and having some buy-in and some control over your schedule. I think that is a great benefit. Yeah, I'm sure you have it nice. You can choose your schedule almost entirely. (laughs) (laughs) Obviously, you have things to respond to in a timely manner, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, but just like you were saying, like the routine is so important. Like, so for me, even though I'm a sole proprietor and I don't have a actual boss that I am answering to, I have many clients that I'm answering to. So it's important for me to be available eight to five for them. And it's important for me because, you know, working from home too, I strictly work from home and I have for almost 13 years. It's very important for me to have those boundaries. So 
I don't work before eight. Before eight is time for me, for my family. And I typically don't work past five either because the same thing, that's time for me and for my family. So as long as I have those boundaries in place, I feel like I am able to be very committed and very focused to work things between eight and five. So while I'm not allowing work to go past those boundaries of before eight or after five, I'm also very rarely letting life get inside those boundaries of eight to five. It's mostly work during that time. Yes, some things come up and that's for everyone. And it's important to honor things that come up maybe unexpectedly. But for the most part, eight to five, my work gets kind of my priority during that time. So that's just been a way that works well for me to keep those boundaries maybe a little bit strict, but to make sure that I'm giving my best version to work and my best version to my family and my self-care. Right. Otherwise, it kind of all blends into one. Yes. And then nobody's getting priority. (laughs) So what would scare you away from a potential employer? I would say the reputation of the company can scare me away. Within the industry, not having a good reputation and maybe you have like a poor view within the the industry and that's kind of scared me since I started learning about like the liability that you have as an, as the engineer. I know that can become like a personal design thing, but like having your company be in the court and things like that can come up with a poor reputation or bad clients relationships that can make it difficult for building customers and finding new customers. So if you go into any sort of like position where you're looking for new like design work, I guess, and you're having trouble earning the bids and earning the design, then that can make it difficult to do your job for one, because you might all be fighting over a project, but just the reputation in general, I would say. I know that can be kind of hard to like find out too, if you're not already immersed in the in the industry. Another thing would be the location of the office. I have a particular like region, I guess. So having a company that doesn't fit the state or area that I'd want to go would, would not be something I'd be interested in. But then within that like state or area, the location of the office within like the city, for example, in Denver, maybe you have an office right downtown and transportation is difficult, cost of living is difficult, maybe like developing a family would be would be more difficult in a city environment. So having a city with a location in that ideal geographic location could be difficult to find, but also important. I'm going to a, a large city or going to New York City doesn't seem to make sense for like uh, somebody looking for a family or finding time for nature and like isolation, I guess, from a large group of people. So that would be another thing. Finally, we've kind of already touched on what like work-life balance, but having your managers and your boss know your expectations for your work hours and uh, things like that. You you've developed a pretty good schedule for your day, for example, but knowing that you're not going to have a impossible deadline get assigned to you right before you want to go on vacation <laughs> would be upsetting. So uh, trying to find that out, it might be difficult too, other than just any communication that you'd have with the company, but even that would might be hard to get an understanding of without spending time working there as an intern or maybe job shadowing and observing the morale and just the environment in the company could be a sign, but kind of hard to know. Yeah, I think there's also like little cues that you can pick up on. So like, for instance, if you have an interview, if the person that is interviewing you ends up being 15 minutes late, I mean, that goes vice versa, right? Like if it's someone that's being interviewed, if you show up late, 
then it shows that you're really not making it a priority and maybe aren't mature enough at that point to have that type of job. But it goes the other way too. If an interviewee or if an employer, if they are showing up late to your interview by a long stretch, then maybe they're not giving the interview the priority that it deserves either. Or they might be so overloaded from a schedule perspective that you know, they're always chasing their tail. So, you know, there's a saying that's like, how you do one thing is how you do everything. So if, you know, if they're showing up very like flustered and, you know, just out of sorts for an interview, chances are that's the way they show up for lots of things in their life. So you can kind of get a read very quickly on some of those things. So yeah, and I think the reputation is very important. I think that's great that you said that. And just like we were talking at the very beginning of our interview, when you establish connections in the industry, maybe they're not people that you're working with, but their connections, whether it be through a mentor, mentee situation like what we have, or just these connections that you've made through LinkedIn, people in the industry are going to be able to give you some feedback as far as company reputation. And I think that is so important because when you work for a company, your own professional reputation almost takes on the company's reputation. So if that's good, it's awesome because then you get to show up for meetings and the fact that you work for that company, you're already bringing that reputation to that meeting, which feels really good and is really cool. And you feel proud to represent them and yes. stand for their values. Yes, exactly. So that can work negatively and positively. So I think that is so great that you already see that as such a benefit and something that you would kind of look into to see what the company's reputation is. I love that. So, okay. Like we said at the beginning of the interview, you're spearheading the mentorship program at South Dakota State for the civil engineering department currently. And it's something that's been in place for a couple of years. And both of us have found so much benefit to this. Maybe if you could just speak a little bit about the mentorship program. And then if there's maybe another university looking into something like this, maybe some first steps to take. Sure. So yeah, like you mentioned, this program was started towards the end of COVID. There's a a board here. I'm not sure if it's just South Dakota or more of a regional thing that decided students entering the workforce just need a little extra maybe boost or could use uh, some help. So this board in particular went to went to the drawing board and tried to develop something that might help better prepare students for the workforce. And they came up with this mentorship program. So we developed a database of 75 to maybe 90 working or retired engineers that would be interested in helping out college students primarily during their four years of undergraduate but it is open to graduate students as well. And once we pair the students, we try to pair one student with one mentor and get them out of the database. So when they're paired up, they're doing their own thing primarily. We ask that they meet at least once a month on average, I guess. And these questions can range in anything from personal stories to technical information, just really trying to prepare the student for uh, what they might expect and Maybe just an example of like a, the, the day in the life of your engineer that you've chosen, all the disciplines for students to choose from and their years of experience. So they really can cater their interests to what they're looking for in a mentor and what they think would be a best fit and kind of get them off the ground with just starter conversations, a couple of example questions that they might first see benefit in and just kind of help them get the relationship off the ground. And from there, it's all on their own. And I think that's really important because this really is developing a a relationship that will be used in the future. So having them develop their business relationship and their network on their own is something that is important for moving forward in, in the field and something that will prepare them furthermore from just the relationship in general. So that's kind of the inner workings of it. But from now on, working on gathering students and showing them the benefits is something that we've been working on over the last 
year and since it started and the trial runs that we've done and seen benefits in the few students that did it at, at first and have now opened it up and allowed every student, every civil engineering student at South Dakota State to participate. Awesome. So if there was a college that was maybe looking at starting a mentorship program, what would, I guess, what advice would you give? I would say find a group of alumni students that are willing to help out the current students. Having a group of people to get this going is is really essential. We had a lot of great founders to this program who spent a lot of time writing bylaws or random agreements for the program. So having a group of people that are experienced with maybe a mentorship program in the workforce that have have experience with just kind of understanding what is important is good. And then having a structure for keeping it going. So the, this mentorship in particular is run through Chi Epsilon. So any funding that we get, any leadership roles comes through that. So I was kind of appointed to this after the initial founder was graduating. So having people that are willing to spend the time to recruit students and potentially new mentors is important to keeping it going and having a, a solid structure and foundation underneath the program. Yeah. And I'm also hearing like almost having a sponsoring organization. So for you, it was Chi Epsilon, but whether that be ASCE or Chi Epsilon or some other organization within civil engineering to kind of create the formwork and the infrastructure and the volunteers necessary, right? Yeah, exactly. And even professors, if they're willing to help kind of plug the program a little bit when students go in for their semesterly meeting about, you know, registering for classes, trying to get a, get a word in through them, it can really benefit as well. But yeah, in, in general, having faculty members and just a, a reputable student body that will support the program is really important for getting it off the ground. And it's beneficial. And I think the word of mouth kind of takes care of things after that. Yeah. That's awesome. Okay, I did not prep you on this at all, but with every episode, we have a theme song. So I am just going to go straight for spontaneity here and see if you could think of a theme song for civil engineering, what would it be? I would have to say don't stop believing because (laughs) there's just a lot of places that we're going to go within the industry. And that's something that we're going to have to continue to work at and find innovations and find new products to take us to where we want to be. That's awesome. For just on the fly, Luke, that was great because I feel like that sums up inspiration, which I think speaking from personal experience of both of us, we draw inspiration from each other. And that is so awesome. And I love, I, I love how you we're able to just come up with that. So Luke, thank you so much for being here today. I hope this really inspires some other universities to start mentor programs. And I hope this also helps out students with kind of a peek into the real world, but also employers and project managers that are maybe a little more advanced in their career to kind of see what students are looking for and and maybe think about those ways that they can best prepare and best help facilitate engineers that are just starting out in their careers. So Luke, thanks so much for being here and we will talk again soon. Absolutely. Thank you very much, Carrie. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this episode of Unstruct and know someone else who would, please share it with them. And if you enjoy the work that I'm doing here in general, I would really appreciate your rating and review on Apple Podcast. It goes a long way to help others find the show. Speaking of finding shows, Unstruct is part of the Gable Media Network, a place where you can find even more content like this. To see the catalog of shows focused on our built environment, visit gablemedia.com. That's G-A-B-L media.com. Lastly, if you haven't already, don't forget to subscribe before you go so that you don't miss the next story from within the walls and how they stand today.
I've mentioned it to my family, but in terms of telling people like, oh yeah, we're doing this, I'm looking for projects. You got anything? Yeah. I'm, I'm not there yet because it scares the out of me. Dreaming of launching your own architecture firm? Well, we'll buckle up for a wild ride with Emerging, the podcast that shares what it's really like to start an architecture firm. Where do we begin? We don't even know what type of business to formalize as. Is it an LLC? Is it an LLP? Like how are taxes? I mean, the list is astronomical. Season one featured founders Jeffrey, Lexi, and Chris, owners of Level Studio Architecture, are your fearless guides on this unfiltered journey from napkin sketches to a thriving studio. One evening, stumbled into one last dive, we sat at the bar and pondered our postgraduate futures. Amidst the conversation, a napkin became the canvas for our aspirations, sketching plans and milestones, sealing our heartfelt commitment and shared dreams. In drawing down dreams on a napkin collectively, that (laughs) then, you know, in your head, you've rooted like, oh, I'm connected to these people, like long term. The process of starting an architecture practice brims with excitement and challenges, demanding meticulous planning, flawless execution, and unyielding resilience. I kind of hate the term because it's so overly used, but I think everybody knows imposter syndrome. And I think it's it's so real to this day. I, I, I don't know if it's with everybody, but with me, I'm always questioning like, us, can we do this? Are we ready to do this? Are we prepared? Can we do it? Did we just decide a name? <laughs> we did it, guys. Oh the one that God. came out of nowhere. Woo! It came out of nowhere. I liked it. I saw it. Ready to turn your aspirations into reality? Follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Emerging and chart your own path to architectural success.